Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next Reel. We're looking at John Favreau's 2008 film Iron Man, back where all of the MCU craziness began. And joining us again today, we have chaplain of the Movies by Minute community, Father David Mowry. Welcome back. Greetings, true believers. Yay. <laughs> See, it works Indeed. on multiple levels because I'm a, I'm a priest and we're talking about <laughs> it. Does, it really does. Yeah. Look at they taught me to explain the jokes in <laughs> seminary because that makes it funnier. <laughs> That's a monastery gag. <laughs> uh, well, today we are uh, talking about Minute 87 of Iron Man. On today's show, the minute starts with Raza welcoming Obadiah to his camp and ends with Raza saying that Stark has made a masterpiece of death. Oh, what a poet. Mm, that Raza. I, I was a little disappointed he doesn't expound quite as as uh, eloquently as he did when he was talking to Tony and Yinsen about Mongolia and Genghis Khan and all of the things. He he really had some great tales to tell uh, back in the cave. And I, I wanted, I mean, he's, he talks nicely here, but I was like, I really would love to have had him do one of his stories here about uh, weapons of mass destruction. Well, you know, a cave wall explodes <laughs> in your face and that takes the wind out of your sails a little bit. It's going to kind of take him a little bit, a little bit to get his self-confidence back to kind of get his poetic legs under him. So he's doing okay in a bad situation. Well, and he's a beta <laughs> now, right? The, there's a new yeah. alpha in the camp and he only the alpha can monologue, you guys. That's lesson number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. He was he was our faux alpha. Right. Now we know who the real alpha is. He's no longer allowed to monologue. Alpha in name only. <laughs> I love squabbling bad guys in movies. This is that scene. This is the scene. That's right. they're both they're both on the same team, but they still have to give each other a hard time. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Yeah. The whole. Well, if you killed him when you were supposed to. Well, even before then, just the look at the the big exaggerated look at the side, like, oh, well, that's a thing, isn't it? Oh boy, he really did a number on you. You mean looking at the bad makeup job? <laughs> is this? Do we? Are we going to talk about that right now? Is it time? I, I think that can of worms just got open. They're all crawling away, so we better get after it now. I think so, Andy. Jump all over it. We're going to get uh, certainly some better views in uh, tomorrow's minute, but right now, yeah, it looks like he just kind of laid his head down in a plate of spaghetti and just has a bunch of sauce on, <laughs> sauce on his face. I, I, I've always like. Like, he looked so much better earlier. Why is it in this particular uh, moment? I just really find that they struggled to get the makeup looking right. It is. It's like just you can see the soggy crepe paper sliding down his face. Just uh, They took a, a knife with some jam on it and just kind of yeah. spread it <laughs> yeah. on the side of his head. Because it looks so sticky. If you look carefully, you can see the seeds. It does <laughs> look sticky. So gross. Well, and then, you know, right next to him, uh, as we cut back and forth to Obadiah, I, does it, is it me or did they very, very clearly use a little bit of makeup to complete Bridges' beard up over his ear? It looks like a brown strap of makeup. Yeah. This, is not, this is not the greatest sequence for makeup, let's just say. Well, that's important for audience immersion. They'd be distracted by the beard just floating on Jeff Bridges' face. Face, so they need to anchor it. Otherwise, people would just be wondering, how does the beard stay on his face that way? Because uh, it's got to hang from something. I don't understand. Well, now, wait. 
Uh, do we have any biblical tie to the to the mystic beard, um, the mystic floating I, beard? I think, Tell me, there's something. Uh, let's maybe in the fourth book of Esdras, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not totally familiar with that one. <laughs> okay. All right, but at least you're telling me there's something to research. That's I'm good. saying That's there's good. a chance. There's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> We do get uh, a little more close up of uh, Stain this time. His ears still look pretty clean. Now you and those ears. I want to apologize to our ophthalmologist listeners. I I misidentified the the field of medical expertise. <laughs> Ophthalmologists, of course, are eye doctors. For an ear doctor, that'd be an how do you pronounce this? Otolaryngeal. Otolaryngeologist. Yeah, otolaryngeologist. Right. Laryngeologist. <laughs> so my my apologies to the American Ophthalmologist Society. Uh, we I, will uh, take all the letters that we get and uh, forward them do. your way. Please. Yeah. <laughs> For those to titanicminute at gmail.com. <laughs> Or everything's going under. <laughs> this is a really interesting uh, minute just because, like you said, we do get kind of that square off between these guys. They've kind of, they've got to puff up their chest a little bit and Stain comes out on top. But we got the lines, you know, uh, well, if you killed him when you were supposed to and you paid us trinkets to kill oh, a prince. Great line. Which is, oh. it's a great line. And uh, it, it just, it all works so well. These guys have a, a fantastic uh, bad guy chemistry going on here. I just, I, I love the way that uh, it's just the whole scene plays just so dark and I don't want to say mysterious, but there's just something about it that just feels it, it, we're we're really with the bottom dwellers now. These guys are just awful. Well, you know, it's it's a lot like falling in love. You just you have to find the right person. It has it has to feel sinister right <laughs> off the start, and that's that's not something you can force. That's just chemistry. That's just going to happen. <laughs> But my question is, how did these guys meet? I mean, what what section on Evil's Craigslist yeah. does Obadiah put the the want ad on? You know, lonely tech industrialist seeks multinational terrorist cabal must love technology, <laughs> right? Uh, how how is it that they connect with each other? I mean, is 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 that the dark web that I hear about? Yeah, right. About how that happens? Well, it's so funny because I, I was thinking about this because I was looking at all these guys that that Stain has with him. He brings like his own army, basically. And my first thought was, oh, those are probably the like the same bodyguards that he had when he was at the fundraiser. But I'm like, well, it doesn't make sense for him to use his bodyguards then bring them over to do all these like black ops things. But I was like, well, maybe it is. And maybe he's got his whole secret troop of people that he's kind of got built into Stark Industries that that are doing all these nefarious deeds. I mean, obviously he's shipping giant, you know, containers full of weapons over here. So it, it seems like something that uh, that must be more than dark web, but it does make you wonder how, I mean, it's all under the table as we've, as we've heard them say earlier in the film. Yeah. How exactly do these guys connect? You know, yeah. That's a, an interesting question. And it just feels like we're catching them in the middle of project mode. Like the, like what, what they answered mm -hmm. with this relationship is how all of those weapons got to the, to the camp in Gulmira in the first place, right? That, that there is a nefarious yeah. underground weapons trading operation that Stain is aware of and facilitates and that's how, you know, those those weapons get there. At least that's the that's the sort of canon that's filling in in my head with this sequence. And so it sort of feels like Stain maybe called his buddy Raza and said, hey, I know we've been working together for years on this other thing, but I got a I got an idea. Do you want to work with me on a special, very special project? And that's what we're kind of in, in media res right now. We, we get to see this. This is a project management meeting right here. 
Roz, I know we've been playing bridge yes. together for two decades, and I feel like <laughs> you're the brother I never had. I think I can trust you with this secret revenge project that I have against the son of my dearest collaborator. Yes, that's it. You're, it's like you've ripped my mind. The, the, it's the bridge connection. Yes, it's all about the bridge connection. Oh, the evil bridge club. you got to watch out for that. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's, a, it's a dangerous one to uh, be a part of. Raza. Raza Obadiah Dane, Jeff Cross, and um, and Loki. Talk about bad bad guy chemistry. Oh, it's like delicious. it's like the uh, the uh, the bad guy uh, counseling session in Wreck It <laughs> Ralph. Ralph. All right. the bad guys are just sitting around <laughs> talking about you know it's okay to be bad. <laughs> These guys are just like we're not that bad. Let's <laughs> let's play some bridge. <laughs> Next week, Mahjong. Right, right. Oh, it's it is a it's it is a strange thing, and I, I think over over this week and uh, the next couple of weeks, it will be interesting to see what hints we get of connections uh, that that we have that might show us how really these people are connected and, and mm-hmm. exactly how how on the books the company is versus how off the books the company is. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that all how that all comes to be over the coming weeks. Wait. But here, it's just it just seems like some nefarious, like you said, it's the dark web. I mean, I, I don't know how people like this find each other, but they do. Andy, what, t- talk just a little bit about this, the script. And because I, I feel like there's a, a hint at a reference here that we've we've talked about before a little bit. Uh, and and maybe a you know this is a great example of a decision that was changed. Yeah, this was this was one of those uh, moments where I think they were. I don't know. I'm torn if they were trying to decide how the story was going to be framed. Uh, like, was Obadiah the bad guy yet, or was he just an agent of the Mandarin? And this was just a a conversation between uh, minions, basically, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. what happened when. It's right in this scene when, uh, right after Raza says, you paid us trinkets to kill a prince, an insult to me and the man whose ring I wear. Close on Raza's ring, the familiar ten interlocked rings, Obadiah. I think it's best we don't get him involved in this. Then I've come a long way to see this weapon. Show me. And that's the hint that we have of of the Mandarin here, which is interesting. And uh, we'll be able to talk about that a little bit more in uh, the coming minutes but uh it's it's interesting that they still were kind of going down that road with the mandarin as uh if not the villain the possibility of something that they might be setting up for a later film right this is the you're gonna need a bigger boat moment you know like there is an even bigger bad guy that we're all scared of uh in in some way shape or form and i think it you know to me it's a good decision to leave that out that may have been uh a fan fan reference too far i appreciate that i appreciate the difficulty that the script writers find themselves in because can you do an iron man movie without including the mandarin it's like doing a spider-man movie without the villain being the green goblin in the first time it it is the main antagonist uh you know tim burton's batman movie was batman and the joker because there is no more iconic villain to oppose batman than the joker Mm -hmm. And, you know, for to do what Christian uh, Christopher Nolan did to put that off for a movie was a, a bold, creative choice. So you're in the midst of the guts of this story. Here's all this lore and mythos about this character. He's got this big villain and who is very problematic. So what do we do <laughs> with this character? Let's do nothing and just ignore him. <laughs> Let's put him off for a few movies we'll, while we figure out what, how to how we want to move forward with that. Right. Yeah. 
Probably smart. Probably smart. It's interesting that the Mandarin is somebody that they uh, did uh, circle back to, and uh, it'll be interesting to talk about that when we get to Iron Man 3 and the way that they decided to kind of get through some of the problematic issues and if it worked or if it uh, just created its own set of issues. I'm looking forward to that conversation in a few years. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Okay. Well, it looks like the Stains guys have some issues here because they look pretty outnumbered. I don't know. I'm I'm looking at 15, maybe 20 of these 10-ring terrorists, and they're all cutthroat, uh, uh, hard scrabble kind of guys. You got these, uh, you know, Nancy boy looking guys all dressed in black, and there are about eight of them. <laughs> they don't stand a chance if it came to a fight. Nope, not at all. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> They yeah, and we get a we get to see that in that beautiful jib shot that kind of the camera goes up. We uh, as Raza and Stain enter the tent. We kind of rise up to kind of just see this group before we cut into the tent. And once we're in the tent, it's a uh, it's a great moment when Stain finally gets to see the suit and looks at it. And I think the script defines well what uh, Jeff Bridges' reaction is. The script says Stain has seen the future. And I think that line says a lot about um, his reaction to seeing this this metal suit that Tony used to escape the uh, his situation of being held captive in Afghanistan. That's a really great way to to write this reaction, because this scene could play out very similarly, even if Raza wasn't even in the tent with him. Yeah, yeah right. And the way that he. The way that he he takes the suit in, oh, this is how he did it. And you can see the wheels turning in his own mind. He's starting to piece everything together. Uh, Raza may as well not be mm-hmm. there because now right. now uh, Stain has what he's been looking for. Exactly. And he he walks into the tent and takes on the CEO power pose, which is perfect. <laughs> standing opposite the suit, you know, his arms crossed, his oh, yeah. head back. Mm-hmm. CEO power right. move. Taking it in. Yeah. Totally. And then then pacing around it, too. Right. Take, yeah, really taking it in from every angle. It's great. This is something I love watching Jeff Bridges do. Just the way that he stares at every little piece as he's kind of looking at it and just studying it. And you can totally see those wheels spinning in his head as he's putting the pieces together and figuring out his next steps. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that it, it works so well and almost to the point where you don't need to hear anything that Raza is saying because <laughs> it really is just great watching Jeff Bridges do this. Well, let, let's pause a moment and, and tip our hats to the members of the Ten Rings who were able to literally put the pieces together. They were having a little bit of trouble earlier oh, in the yes. movie, but they have managed they have managed to actually put this thing together in a semblance of proper order. That's some impressive reverse engineering, <laughs> given the conditions they had to work under. Well, what we don't see uh, in this scene, um, but we do uh, have reference to in the script, and actually what, what we didn't see them having, uh, I don't recall, in the earlier scenes when the guards were looking at the pieces after they collected from the desert, trying to piece it all together— is the onion paper. And now in the script, we actually have, we have uh, Raza holding up the onion skin schematics and he used, apparently found those and used those to kind of put the rest of it together. So uh, we don't see that here. Although if you look, he does kind of walk over to his table that's uh, kind of off to the side. And uh, I don't know, maybe the, the onion skin schematics are laying over there. But uh, regardless, they uh, they did manage to piece it together 
quite nicely because it looks pretty uh, pretty solid here. And you got high tech and low tech both on that table because I just noticed there are two lit candles underneath the bright fluorescent yeah. lights next to the <laughs> laptop. Uh, who, 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 Abdul, did you leave the candles lit again? We've been over this. This is fire safety hazard. Have you seen what this does to onion paper? <laughs> I like to imagine that he's a he's a subscriber to Sensi and he gets the candles shipped in to provide uh, <laughs> better aromas. Uh, that's a heck of a shipping and handling fee, I tell you yeah, what. All right. Yeah, it sure is. I also, weirdly, I don't know why I find that it uh, is just really good production design work, but I love the fact that back in the corner, we see kind of a a little shelf of a bunch of, uh, you know, food and other sundries, pots and pans and things just sitting back there. It's just one of those things that just comforts me knowing, oh, okay, I like the fact that the production designers realize these guys are going to have to eat while they're camping out here. Let's give them some food. That's good verisimilitude. It makes it feel like this is a space where human beings live and have to operate. Exactly. Right. And we at least still know how to be a good host. <laughs> right. Which we'll see in uh, tomorrow's minute. Emily Post is alive and well in the camp. Well, they're not savages. <laughs> Come now. <laughs> oh, I don't think I have anything else for this minute. What about you guys? I have another little section of Christ and the Cape, if you'll indulge me. Oh, please. Uh, so, so yesterday we talked about anthropology and then it's kind of the theological understanding, looking at the rather high view of human beings that Iron Man as a movie has. Uh, now I want to I turn and look at kind of Iron Man's Christology, that is the theological understanding of Christ. Now I'm going to take some liberties with this because Jesus does not make an appearance in this movie. And I looked, but uh, <laughs> we, we understand a superhero is always a savior figure. That is what superheroes do. They save people. And any hero superhero movies that are uh, deconstructing that type revolve around superheroes who don't want to save people. So what kind of savior is Iron Man? Well, he is uh, not an alien from another planet. He is not an Amazonian princess. He is not the inheritor of a special bloodline. You know, uh, He doesn't get the, glee, the Green Lantern. Uh, he is a self-made hero. Um, he creates his own suit. He creates uh, something that encases him and protects him and gives him more power than he has naturally. So it's a thoroughly modern idea, this self-made Messiah. He's kind of the, uh, not the spirit anointed Messiah, but he's a tech anointed Messiah. You know, the only special qualities mm -hmm. that Tony Stark has are his tremendous intelligence and his vast bank account. But he has no supernatural powers. You know, those are all within the realm of imagination. We can imagine a human being with a, a high IQ and a lot of money. Elon Musk, for instance. Now, and I'm sure Elon has tried to make some Iron Man suits in his spare time. Uh, so it, <laughs> we, we have Iron Man now as this, uh, this tech anointed savior. So not someone who has that power inherently. The other thing that's interesting about Tony Stark as a hero, as a savior, we have a death and resurrection motif at the beginning of his story. So at the, the beginning of this movie, has Tony go through a death experience? Shrapnel lodges in his heart. Jensen performs the surgery to, to save his life. And then his new life begins when he emerges from the cave in the Iron Man suit. Huh. Now that's, you know, 
that's that's just me reading this, you know, since I am so familiar with the Christ story, I just can't help but see a man walking out of a cave and think, oh, it's like Jesus. And then what does he do? He lifts off into the sky. (laughs) 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 He he ascends into heaven. Now, in true Marvel fashion, he then crashes spectacularly in the desert. But there is this sense of a rebirth. Tony comes back different. Something has changed in him. He is not the same man he once was. And I'll have more to say about that later. But here we have these echoes of the Christ story, even in someone as unchristian as Tony Stark and not exactly (laughs) living a a life of high morality, Tony. But still (laughs) in the the telling of how he becomes the hero, how he becomes the savior, uh, both in uh, being anointed with power, granted of his own making, but still that makes him more than he once was. And this death and resurrection motif in the story it makes for some interesting parallels and connections. I think it shows that as a Western culture, and you know, Marvel is a very Western uh, cultural product, we are still haunted by the story of Jesus Christ. We still have elements of that story, even in something like a summer blockbuster superhero movie, because there is something enduringly true about these motifs of a supernatural power of death and resurrection. Can you think of any other Marvel characters that have had similar motifs that you've been that you've caught that have been uh, I don't want to say too so obvious but I mean well yeah the, like the cave the cave analogy is is very obvious I mean it's yeah right right ob- right there are some obvious scriptural references here I'm like the Jericho missile okay obvious biblical metaphor is right, obvious Jericho, the Jericho right. yeah yeah well Captain America has a similar kind of death and resurrection sure, experience okay. um. Let's see what else. Um, uh, Thor uh, has a sort of uh, he follows the uh, the pattern of what we in theology called kenosis, that is the self emptying of Christ. So uh, in the Paul's letter to the Philippians, we have the great Christological hymn where Paul speaks of Christ. Though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. That re- uh, therefore he took the form of a slave, becoming human in appearance. Uh, Thor is humbled in the same way, not of his own choosing, and that's where the difference lies, but Thor (laughs) becomes human in that story and learns humility. It echoes the line from the letter to the Hebrews where it speaks of Christ learning obedience by what he suffered, and we can see that in Thor's story as well. Um, Doctor Strange is very new agey and Gnostic, so there's not a lot of parallels there. Uh, <laughs> what about Hulk? Uh, what about Hulk and his um, stories of Hulk. exile and transformation? Um, there's, hmm, yeah, exile and transformation. There's something there. Hmm, I'd have to think about that a little bit more. Uh, We're coming back to that one yeah, soon. Hulk, so. Hulk <laughs> is is more of a, um, well, Hulk is a, a modern name, Frankenstein. Mo- yeah. Frankenstein's monster story, which itself Mary Shelley called a, the story of a modern day Prometheus. So mm-hmm. it's this story of science and knowledge gone awry that uh, redounds to the scientist's uh, tragedy and misery. Scriptural references for the Hulk. I'd have to come back to that one. I mean, well, well, hold on. There's Samson. <laughs> There's Samson, the story of Samson. So with his great strength, um, he is. Uh, 
maimed at the end. He's weakened where the only thing he can do after he's captured by the Philistines, he's blinded and he's made to play the fool before the court of the Philistines. He rests his hands against the the pillars of the temple and with his last burst of strength destroys the whole temple and brings down the house, literally, on top of Mm -hmm. all of his captors. Um, But in terms of superhuman strength, Samson's the one that comes to mind. Yeah, rage isn't really a, a, a highly regarded virtue in the Bible. So, <laughs> it's not up uh, there. Not, not, the not a lot of parallels, no. <laughs> um, well, we'll see. we'll be talking about that next year, so yeah. uh, we we'll, we'll look forward to yeah. uh, We'll give you some time to do some research and see what oh, you can come excellent. up with. Excellent. <laughs> oh, well, uh, Father Mowry, it was fantastic uh, chatting with you about Iron Man today. Thank you so much for having me. That was great. Um, where can people find you out on the internet? Uh, people can find me. If you're interested in hearing uh, more of my blathering on Movies by Minutes podcast, you can go to my website, Father David Mowry. That's uh, Father, all spelled out, F-A-T-H-E-R, FatherDavidMowry.com. Uh, I have links there to all my other podcast appearances. Uh, if you're liking these Christ in the Cape sections, I, I recommend listening into the minutes I was on for Dawn of Justice Minute. We talked about the theological and philosophical implications of Superman and Batman in some detail with the DC Cinematic Minute guy. Fantastic. Good stuff. Good stuff all around. Well, everybody, uh, that is it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at thenextreel.com slash Patreon. Until next time, true believers. True believers.